Welcome, guys. Episode 11 of Rooted in Logos podcast. My name is Brad, and this week I am joined just by Austin. Carter took a step back for today's episode only. He will be back on Thursday. But today we're going to get into something that's pretty heavy and and somewhat controversial. The, The question, can you lose your salvation? Is salvation something that you can give back? Is it something that you can say, you know what, I reject it, I don't want it anymore? And what is the biblical basis for that? What is the biblical basis that says you you cannot lose your salvation, that that you are secure in your faith? And we're going to kind of unpack that. Tough topic. We have struggled with this one. Full disclosure, this has been the most difficult one so far. Yeah, definitely. And getting through this is going to be getting through it by the grace of God and, and just Him giving us the words to not only express how we understand Scripture but also to do it in a loving way, do it in a way that is not divisive, do it in a way that still maintains some sort of unity, the unity that is so desperately needed in our church today. So with that, let's kind of dive in and dig into this topic of can you lose your salvation. So let's start with the verse that people use to claim that you can lose your salvation. Let's start there and just kind of unpack that idea and and see if that's something that, that scripture does teach, or if maybe it teaches the opposite. Uh, one of the main ones used, there there are a few more, but we're just going to look at this one for right now. It's Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. And it says, verse 4, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. So it is saying it is impossible for those who have been enlightened, those who have tasted the heavenly gift, those who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God. It's saying it is impossible for those basically to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Is that what it's saying? And verse 6, And then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God. So, again, this is, this is one of the more common scriptures used to support that. And again, it's it's not so much can you lose your salvation, it's more of the mindset of can you give it up? So looking looking at another kind of question that's proposed, if it's true love, it needs to be a choice, right? If you are secure in your faith or a worldly term now stuck in a marriage, how is it true love if you don't have the option of leaving? So the way I look at that is you're basically partaking in a marriage covenant with God. In the Christian aspect, once you are married, you're married. That's it. There is no divorce. You, it, God, God says he hates divorce. So, you have chosen to do this, and there is no divorce from God. So, it's, it's not so much looking at it from, can you give it back? It's, you have entered into this marriage covenant with God, with Christ, and from that thought of, oh, well, I should be able to leave whenever I want if I'm not happy. No, it's a covenant. Covenant in Scripture is not broken. It is kept. It is kept on both sides. 
uh, in, in the original traditional way of covenant, when you enter into a covenant with someone, if you cannot uphold your side of the covenant, guess what? The other side of the party, it is now their responsibility to uphold where you have been slacking. If, say, you've entered into a covenant where you are buying a field from somebody, okay, you're making the payments for this field, well, you can't make the payment. Well, it is now up to that other party to make up the difference. Because, again, entering into that covenant where it is on both sides, they have the responsibility of that. And I like that you said that because this idea of, of being able to walk away from the faith, this idea of being able to to have a true salvation experience, not just an emotional response, not just this intellectual, yeah, that makes sense, yeah, I kind of agree with that, but a true salvation experience, first, it, it, it leads to repentance, it leads to a lifestyle change, things are, your life will look different, not perfect, not free from the struggle of sin, but it will look different. Yeah, exactly. And in this idea of being able to lose your salvation, to me, it puts it puts you in control. It it, it puts you in this. I have the ability to to either a stay and and honestly earn my salvation, or have the ability to say, ah, I don't want it and walk away. So, and, and maybe given showing our cards here a little bit, but. You have to then ask yourself: Was was I? Did I have a salvation experience to begin with? Because if if you look at uh, the verse in Hebrews that you that you read, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up for contempt. It's this idea that. They heard the gospel. They had the truth preached. They had the truth presented to them. They understood it intellectually. They may even may have even had an emotional response to it, but there was no change. There was no lifestyle change to come along with it. It was just that. It was just a knowledge. We talked about it last week, that, that 10 inches between your head and your heart keeping you from heaven. Because yeah. you have that head knowledge, but you don't have that heart change and that lifestyle change and that actual salvation experience. I truly believe that if you read this in context and you read this verse and this passage the way the writer of Hebrews intended it, he is talking about people who have heard the truth, who understand it intellectually, they get it, they understand, but they reject it. And they ultimately say, this is not for me. This is not what I believe. Right. I think that's different than having a true salvation experience and then giving it back right, <laughs> and giving well, the gift back. So to give that a little bit more context, let's go to Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And it's it's the parable of the sower. And I think this, again, gives it context, gives it context and a little bit more of a background. So verse 1, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. There they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, 
they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So we're going to fast forward to verse 18, the the parable of the sower explained. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. That's that emotional experience. Exactly. That emotional response. Receiving it with joy. Yeah. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. So the main consensus throughout this whole thing is it is talking about the word. It is talking about scripture, it is talking about the gospel, it is talking about Christ's word, people who receive the word, and it depends on what they do with it. So, all the way up to verse 23, as for what was sown in good soil, it is talking about those who receive the word, and again, talking about that emotional experience, that emotion is a very powerful thing. And and again, it can be misinterpreted as the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look at let's look at major events. Let's yeah. look let's look at things like like Winter Jam, right? Yes. A, a very common Christian music concert that, that that thousands of people go to every year, and they have this the, the speaker that comes out and gives just an impassioned gospel presentation, full of emotion. Usually, their story is heartbreaking. Usually, God has pulled them out of just some horrible situations, and you just see hundreds of people just weeping and 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 coming to Christ, but does it go beyond that? Because you, you have the, it's, again, it's all about emotion. I, you also think of like camp when you're, in, when you're in youth group and you have this week of camp and it's, you're on this emotional high and you come back and like a week later, you're, nothing has changed. Nothing's changed. Yeah. It is just emotion. The whole goal is to make you cry, to make you feel something. Does it go beyond the emotion? Does it go and take root like it is on the good soil? And actually produce fruit. You look at uh, Matthew seven thirteen through twenty three. Uh, Jesus Jesus says, "Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits." And this is what Jesus alludes to back in Matthew thirteen, talking about the parable of the sower. It says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. 
And this is where it's key right here, verse 21. And I do think people will use this to say you can be saved and then still not go to heaven and lose your salvation. Because Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out the demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Mm. So what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying that that you can believe in me and, and confess me and, and be saved, but then lose it? That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying, no. He is almost building off of that parable of the sower and saying that these that this salvation experience, this conversion experience, has to come with action. Has exactly. to bear fruit. It has to... You're not going to be perfect. You're going to sin. You're going to mess up. But there has to be a lifestyle change, a true repentance, and a true conversion. And it goes to a, a second question that's posed. Um, you know, first one is a, a free pass from sin. Basically, if you're secured in your faith, that notion of, oh, well, if I'm good, then I don't have to worry about it. I, I can go do whatever I want. Well, another one is, what is the point of growth? Right. If you are secured in your salvation, what is the point of getting deeper, being able to grow in your salvation if there's really no point because you're just going to go to heaven anyway? The, the rebuttal I have for that is if, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within you, you will want to. If you accept Christ and you don't want to grow, there is nothing pushing you to know more, to get deeper, then more than likely there's an issue there. It should be a constant, the spirit within you, as we've alluded to in other podcasts, is crying out, Abba, Father. The spirit within you wants that relationship with the Father. And again, it it takes the the pressure, it takes the responsibility off of your flesh to grow because it puts it on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's doing the work in you. The Holy Spirit is the one who is convicting. He is, he is sanctifying. He is the one who initiates the salvation. There is nothing you can do to become closer to Christ without the Holy Spirit in you. So again, like Austin said, if, if, if you have that head knowledge, that intellectual belief, or that emotional experience of, of Jesus and the truth and the gospel, but there is nothing inside you that says, I want to grow, I want to, I want to become more like him, I'm, or you're not bearing fruit, you're not, you're not digging deeper, you're not being convicted, then there is something you need to look at. There is a problem. Were you saved to begin with? So just, just a couple points, and, and again, this is a really tough topic. I hope, I hope we're doing it justice. <laughs> we, I feel like we're jumping around a little bit. But if you have a genuine faith and you are in a state of saving grace, you will never lose your salvation. And if you lose it, you never had it to begin with. Well, okay. And we're going to... With that, well, let's, let's dive into Scripture. Let's, let's back that up. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And we're going to dig into that yep. for sure. And I, and, and I want to say, too, before we get into that, I want to come back to that statement at yes. the end of this. Yes. Because I think it's very important for us to understand that statement can sound a little unloving and that statement can sound a little harsh. So we need to dig in, we need to kind of dissect that a little bit and we will, but let's back that up with statement, with scripture. The first one I have, Philippians 1, 6, 
And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And, and the Greek word that, that Paul here, uh, that Paul uses here, is translated has begun. And it's only used one other time in the New Testament, Galatians 3.3. And both times it is used, it is used in reference to salvation. So when God begins a good work in us, he is going to complete it. That points to security as Christians. That points to the security of our salvation. And then next, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, and then 23. So, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So, talking about salvation, your salvation, it is imperishable. It is undefiled, unfading. It is eternal. It is not dependent on anything that we can do. It, yeah, exactly. It's not dependent on anything we can do. If, And again, looking at it from that perspective of you're driving down the road and you you cuss someone out on the road, right? Uh, they cut you off. And 10 seconds later, you're in a car accident. You don't have time to repent for that. You've sinned. Going along with that mindset of, oh, well, bummer, dude. Like, bad luck. Like, yeah, you, you arrive at the gates, and what is Jesus going to say? Ah, sorry, dude. Timing, timing sucked Timing wasn't you. great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's one aspect of this. Not, and I do think that's a more, that's a more of a rare belief system. This idea yeah. that every sin then causes you to lose your salvation. Legalistic sides of Christianity might hold to this. So that is a rare belief. At least it's not one I run into a lot. But you take that to its logical end. You you live in constant fear. You live in constant fear that every mess up, every time you do something wrong, well, that's it. If I die right now, I'm I'm done. I'm going to hell. Let me ask you this. When you sin, when you do something, do you? How often is your repentance immediate? Oh, that's a good question. It it would depend on what I do, but for the most part, it's like trying to keep that in mind to do that. Well, it, but it doesn't always. Happen. It's not always going to be immediate, right? Yeah. I mean, there's going to be times where I'm reminded on Sunday morning during a sermon of something I did on Wednesday or something mm. I did on Tuesday, right? What would have happened that I didn't repent for? Didn't realize? Maybe didn't realize it was. It wasn't an intentional sin. It was just my, my flesh coming out unintentionally. Maybe it was intentional and I just didn't deal with it, just ignored it. Yeah, yeah. There are going to be times when you you aren't going to repent immediately for that sin that you commit. And if you believe, and again, I think it's contrary to Scripture, if you believe that every time you mess up, you've lost your salvation, that, that is not a way to live. The, 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 God does not give us, a spirit, give us a spirit of fear. Yeah. And that's what that is. That's a spirit of fear. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll look at verse 23 real quick. It says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Again, talking about the word of God. Going back to the parable of the sower, talking about the word, receiving the word. Okay, this is talking about the ones that have received it in good soil and they have taken root. Next, let's really quick look at Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Well, before, before you do that, let me go back, jump back to that, mm. that point you just made. Through the process of sanctification, 
those of us who are in the good soil and, and have taken root and, and, and there is fruit, there's a process of sanctification that we go through throughout our entire lives until we, until we come to the end of our lives and then ultimately we're, we're perfect uh, with our perfect bodies in heaven. Right. That process of sanctification, if you want to continue with that analogy, is like being pruned. It's taking off, it's taking this, this tree, this, this plant, and cutting away the dead limbs. Yeah. Cutting away the, the parts of you that aren't fruitful, the parts of you that aren't producing. It's a lifelong process. It is something that we are going to go through th- throughout our entire lives that, that we're not going to reach that perfection this side of heaven. Yeah, exactly. So we will constantly be pruned. We will constantly have parts of us that aren't bearing fruit, and God will remove those from us and show us those areas and help us grow in those areas to where we will produce fruit. Yeah. And and again, that just to me says, you are a work in progress. You're not, when you have taken, when, when the word of God, when the Logos has taken root, you aren't going to lose that. You aren't just going to mess up and say, ah, that's it. I'm done. I don't have it anymore. Yeah. Because it, you won't reach perfection this side of heaven. Right. And, and going back to that common question of what's the point of growing? it If you have the spirit within you, you are going to want to grow. And looking at faith that way as your salvation, the pinnacle of your walk with Christ should be at your death. Like that should be the height because then what happens after death? You're in the the throne room. You're perfect. That's it. So uh, a term I often use is there is no retirement from the faith. We do not retire. We do not get to the age of 60 or 70 and say, well, I've put in my time. So I'm, I'm, I'm good. No, no, you are to continue. I mean, Scripture is full of saying, stand fast, persevere, continue. Paul says, run the race. Run as if uh, you're to win. You're not just, you know, running a rat race and at some point you might get to the end. No, you're you're running to win. So run accordingly. And at the end of your life, when Christ calls you home, that is the pinnacle of your faith, and therefore you are there. Next, we have Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is going back to the Spirit, the Spirit within you, the renewal, the washing. If you have truly accepted the Spirit within you, there will be that renewal. Again, this is not saying, we are not saying that you will be perfect. We are not saying that your temptations will go away. What we are saying is that once the Spirit is within you, there will be a reason and a cause and a motivation within yourself to combat those. Because again, what is the end purpose? Eternal life with Christ. And again, I go back to Philippians where it says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So it's the Holy Spirit that initiates the salvation, and what he starts, he's going to finish. So the Holy Spirit will sanctify, he will convict, he will make us more and more like Christ. And because of that, he will help ensure our, per- our, our perseverance. You hear this topic, you hear this, this phrase, perseverance of the saints, and, and people automatically get their kind of get their defenses up. They, they don't like the implications of that. But let's, let me rephrase it. Or maybe a better term is preservation of the saints. So perseverance of the saints, I think, can be misleading. It indicates that there is something that we can do to keep our salvation. There's something that we can do to earn it, 
I mean, it does. It, it, to me, when you talk about losing your salvation, it also implies that you can earn your salvation. Right. And, and I, I don't see that in Scripture. And so perseverance of the saints, again, might be misleading because it, 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 it indicates maybe that we have to do something to, to earn it and keep it. So the only reason we are able to persevere in our faith is through the work of the Holy Spirit, like I've said. So preservation preservation of the saints. Our confidence rests in the power of Christ to sustain us with his grace and by the power of his intercession on our behalf. Next, I want to look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. It says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So this is talking about not, not just sin in general, because uh, as Romans says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. This is talking about continual sin, living in sin. For those who are born again, those who have been saved, you are not going to be a habitual offender on specific things. If you do it and know that what you did was wrong, you repent, you confess, you are forgiven. You move on. But if you keep coming back to that same one over and over and over and over and over again. And, and to the point where there's no more conviction. Right. And, and yeah, if you don't even think what you're doing is wrong, that is another inclination. And again, I'm not going to say it, but that is for you and God. You need to be praying, Lord, is is this real? Yeah. And a lot of this it, somewhat repeats what we talked about last week, the marks of a, of a Christian, the marks of salvation, and what does salvation look like. We want to hammer this home because it's so important that you are secure in your faith and you know that the Holy Spirit's going to sustain you and that you, yes, you're going to mess up. Yes, you're going to have these issues and you're, and you're going to fall short, but He is still with you. You haven't lost your salvation because you messed up. You haven't lost your salvation because you because you're human. <laughs> yeah. Because there's nothing you can do to earn it. Therefore, there is nothing you can do to lose it. It is all on Christ. It's all on God. It's his work, his power. Yeah. And, you know, you, you mentioned there in, in John, reminded me of this verse in Romans, in, uh, Romans 5, verse 20 through 6, 2. It says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Again, this goes back to a life change, a lifestyle change, a, a heart change, a complete 180 from your sinful desires. Your desires become his desires. When a true conversion experience takes place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, looking at John, John chapter 6, verses 37 through 39. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So it that goes towards if you are saved, if you truly have the Holy Spirit within you, he says, you are his. 
You have been given to him by the Father, and everything that has been given to him, it's his. It is his. Nothing can take it away. John chapter 10, verse 27 through 29. It says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, talking about those who have truly accepted Christ in their heart, the Holy Spirit within them. God knows them. We know Him. And again, no one can snatch them out of His hand. And that it's so encouraging, I think. It, and I think one of the reasons why I wanted to get into this topic and why we wanted to get into this is to encourage you that you can be secure in your in your salvation. You can know between you and God. It is not something I can know for you. It's not something you can know for me, but you can know. And you can have a confidence in the fact that you are His and that there is nothing that can change that. There is fruit. You will see fruit. You will have conviction. You will, you will feel the Holy Spirit pricking your heart when you are not living up to His standards. So yeah, with that conviction... That is, again, the Holy Spirit within you, pushing you towards the Father, crying out, what you're doing is wrong, you need to make this right. Looking at that, you know, how, how do we tell the difference between the believers and the unbelievers? You know, we've, we've gone through the fruits of the Spirit. We've gone, how, what does it look like to be a Christian? How do you act a Christian? How do you know you're different? Well, really what this comes down to is you can only answer that question for yourself. You have to be on your knees before the God of the universe, and that is the conversation you have with Him. As for everyone else, that is not for you to know. It is none of my business. That is between you and God. What is between me and God, that's my business. So, let's look at Matthew chapter 13. We're going to talk about the parable of the weeds, okay? So, verse verse 24 of chapter 13, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So we'll skip ahead. Verse 36, the parable of the weeds explained. I could explain it, I could explain it, but you know. It's Jesus. So I'm just going to let Jesus explain Jesus does it a little better than we do. Yeah, just a little bit better. (laughs) Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is 
the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous shall shine like the sun in the kingdom and their father. He who has an ear, let him hear. So as those who have the Holy Spirit and those who don't, we cannot truly know. Again, we have ways to look at it, you know, looking at the fruits of the Spirit. But we can't tell until the end of the age. The angels, they, they can see, but they can't go and unroot them or else it will unroot several of the others. So looking at it that from that perspective, again, you need to look at yourself. You can only answer this for yourself. And again, it takes that responsibility away from us. Yes. It puts the responsibility on God. It is not our responsibility to determine whether you are saved or not. You being this person in front of you, this other, the, the other person that you're sitting next to in church. It is not your responsibility for the... You're not... Ah, you are not responsible for their soul. Exactly. Okay. They... Again, that is between them and God. And only God ultimately will know the ultimate outcome. Right. So we've talked a little bit about you as an individual, that you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We've discussed that at length last week. We've alluded to it again this week, how ultimately you, this is between you and God. Your, Your security of your salvation is between you and God. I am confident in my salvation. I am. But I'm not confident in Austin's because that's not for me to know. That's not... I believe he is because, I, again, we see the fruits. I, I, I believe that there is good fruit coming from Austin. Well, it, it's not your responsibility to know that for me. And, again, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Psalms. That is your job to work out your salvation. It's not your job to work that out for me. It's not my job to work that out for anybody else. For someone who is looking at another person that looks like this strong Christian, again, looking at the, the guy from DC talk, you know, I, I grew up listening to him. Uh, my brother had his CDs. We listened to him a lot. And then later hearing about all this as Christians, what is the first thing we want to do is, Oh, well, well, obviously he's not saved. That is not for us to do that. That is the form of judgment that Christ says, do not judge lest you be judged that final judgment. That's not for us. If he's not, that's between him and God. It ha- that's, n- that's none of my business. What's between me and God is my salvation, which I work out with fear and trembling. And to kind of wrap this up and to kind of go back to what I said earlier, if you have a genuine faith and are in a state of saving grace, you will never lose it. And if you do lose it, you never had it. Let's caveat that because yeah. again, that sounds harsh. That's, that sounds... yeah. yeah divisive even that's a secondary issue whether or not kevin max the guy from dc talk whether or not he was saved to begin with is like you said not our responsibility to know we don't get to know that what our focus should be as the church is not whether he was saved to begin with it's that he has walked away now he is not living a lifestyle of repentance and obedience to christ now so what is our role then as the church? Well, our role is to pray for him as, yes. as that he will come to repentance, 
that ultimately he will have a saving knowledge of God, whether he had it before or not, when he wrote Jesus Freak or, or whatever he was doing in the 90s, whether he was saved to begin with or not, I I mean, if you want me to get technical, I probably would argue he wasn't. Yeah. That he didn't have that salvation experience, that conversion experience. I would argue that if you walk away from the faith, if you say, you know what, I don't believe this anymore. I do not believe Jesus is the only way to heaven anymore. I don't believe that that my sin earns eternity in hell. I, I don't believe that anymore. I would argue you probably weren't saved to begin with. But again, because this question was posed to us, can you lose your salvation yep. by somebody else? I don't think you were saved. But yep. that is not the point. Right. The point is, you are not living, this person is not living a lifestyle that is pleasing to Christ. So what do we do? We pray for him to come to repentance. Right. We pray that the Holy Spirit will work in his life, bring him to repentance, whether that is a actual true conversion or just back to the faith. Right. Again, not our responsibility to know what the the state of his soul in the 90s. Yeah. Well, and, and there's a difference between turning from God and walking away and never truly being one with God, you know, having the Holy Spirit within you. We turn from God every day. Every single time we sin, we are turning our back on God. Look at look at David and and Paul. Yeah. Look, or, or not Paul, sorry. Look at look at David and Peter. David and Peter. There you go. Look at David, a man after God's own heart who committed adultery, murder. Committed murder and was still a man after God's own heart. Look yep. at Peter who denied Christ 3 times. Three times. Like, flat out said, I don't know this man, may God curse me if I'm lying, and yet he was the rock that Christ built the church on. Yes. So what, do you think in that moment he lost his salvation? I do not. I don't either. I don't, yeah. He, he sinned. Yeah. It was a moment of weakness. Well, so in, in an illustration that I think of that, I don't know if it'll help or not, but looking at it as from, again, a covenant a contract between you and God. You're saying, I believe, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit comes within you. Looking at it from also like a marriage perspective. If you have entered into a covenant with God, like a marriage, if you have signed the contract, you then consummate the marriage. That is when you are 100% you're in. The Holy Spirit is within you you are not kicking him out. He is not leaving you. But, so there's a difference. There is a difference between marriage and an annulment. We cannot divorce from God. We cannot have that separation from him once we are his. But if you enter into that contract, but do not consummate, basically you have not truly accepted him as your Lord and Savior. You might go along with the motions, again, the, the emotions, but you have not entered into that full consummation of marriage, you can't divorce him, but basically it can be annulled, as in it never happened. You started, but you didn't finish it. It's that camp experience when you're a kid. Yeah. It's that week of constant emotion of uh, these highs and lows of of the music and the message and the music and the message and the music. And then all of a sudden... Nothing changed. Right. And basically what you, it is You ride is, the high for a week, and then that's it. So really, it comes down to if by sin you lose your salvation, timing is your savior, not Jesus. So we need to remember who is our savior and how does he do that? Well, he died on the cross. 
if you believe in your heart, you've accepted, you have professed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then you will be saved. And again, like we have talked about, what will happen after that? There will be change. There has to be change. If there is no change, if you continue to habitually offend, if you continue to live in sin, then chances are it was not real. And and, and same if if the f- moment trials come into your life, because they will, whether you're saved or not, things things go wrong. If the moment that happens, you immediately abandon the faith. You immediately say, well, that must not have been, that must not be true. That That must have been just an emotional moment for me. Then again, there's there's something that that experience was was just that it was an experience. It wasn't an actual conversion, right? And and Christians become can become stagnant. Absolutely. You can get in a place where basically you plateau. It, it's never a a downhill. It's never a you start to go down. It's you plateau, and either you stop moving or you're just going straight. Whereas you need to be going up, right? Right. You and, look at a, a mountain climber. You know, yep. you, you're climbing. You're camping, or you're making no progress at all, or no pro. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we I think we all go through times in our lives where we are stagnant. We 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 you know I, I think of you know a few years ago when I just for a few months just wasn't. I still believed, but I wasn't. I wasn't doing anything about it. Yeah. I was very upset. I was very angry. I was very hurt by some of the life circumstances that had taken place. And I just kind of sat in that pity for a little while and, yeah. and sat in sin and sat in apathy and, and anger and bitterness. And God had to pull me out of that. Did I lose my salvation in those couple of months that I was going through that? I honestly don't think so. Yeah. Because he was working in me. He was working on me. It took a little while. I had to get, you know, over my stubbornness and, and yeah. these emotions. So be encouraged by that because it's going to happen. There's going to be times in your lives where you're not. Things aren't jiving. Things aren't connecting. You haven't lost your salvation. Yeah. Well, so a couple of years ago, I I was in a job that was literally sucking the life out of me. It was, it took everything I had spiritually, mentally, physically, and I I hit a plateau. I was standing still. I became stagnant. I was not moving. I hit the point where I was no longer increasing, no more growth. Again, standing still, my spiritual leadership towards my wife and my children were taking that effect as well. And I I was there for too long. But the Lord, I, I believe 100%, the Lord brought that to my attention. Now, you can ignore it. Well, David required Nathan to, to come in and say, dude, get it together. Yeah, yeah. It. And that's it. Some, Paraphrased, by the way. That wasn't. Yeah, that's not. He didn't he say, actually, "Dude, get it together, dude, bro." Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that him and he. It was my wife using my wife to spur me, and and I I hit a moment where I I remember I broke down. I was crying on the floor of our kitchen. I'm like, well, "What have I been doing the past year and a half?" And I'm like, "Oh my goodness!" Uh, next day, I went in, gave my two weeks' notice. And I'm like, this has to change now. And looking at that, looking back at that time, no, I don't believe I lost my salvation, but I believe that in a way I turned my back 
and I was not living the way, I was not living my purpose the way I was supposed to. I was not spiritually leading my family. I was not growing. I hit that plateau and I was standing still. And I think it's important. There was a message I heard years ago about how as a believer, as someone who has accepted Christ, Satan can never take your soul. Okay. When you when you read in John, where Jesus is saying that no one can pluck you from my hand, Satan can't pluck you from his hand, but he can make you ineffective. Yes. He can ca- he can cast doubt. He can make you doubt your salvation. He can make you doubt your standing with God. Did God really say, like you see in Genesis? He can interrupt that relationship and and kind of help break that connection, so yeah. to speak, yeah. and make you ineffective for his kingdom, but he can't steal your salvation. So I want, I want to leave you all with this encouragement. Be secure in your, in, your, in your Christianity. Be secure in your salvation. Work that out between you and God and, and know that if, there, if you are being convicted of sin, if you are wanting, if you're striving to be more Christ-like, if you have that desire in you and you know you have that desire in you, Grab hold of that. Take hold of that and take comfort in that and know that that he is working in you. If you find yourself saying, I don't believe this anymore. If you find yourself saying, I don't think this is truth. I, I think maybe this is a truth, but not the truth. That's when I would worry. Yes. That's when I would start saying, mm, maybe I didn't have that salvation experience to begin with. Maybe I didn't convert. Maybe I just had a head knowledge and not a heart change. Yeah. So I hope this encourages you. I hope this clears up some of it. Kind of, we, we, we wanted to tread lightly on this because we understand that it is, can be divisive. And I want to stress the importance of the fact that if someone, you know, in your family, if it's, or you or in the church or, or you see it out, out in the world, these prominent Christians, if they're walking away from the faith, they may not have been saved to begin with, but that's not what's important at this moment. What's important at this moment is that we love on them. We, with love and gentleness and kindness, we, we share the truth with them and we pray for them and we pray that God does a work in their lives and in their hearts. That is the key. That is That should be our response, not a debate or an argument on, well, was he saved to begin with? Did, did, did she give her salvation back? Did he say, I don't want this anymore? That's none of your business. That's not the point. The point is they need to be brought to repentance now, in this moment. We can't do that, but we can pray for it, and we can, again, share the truth and love. That is the key. That is the point. Yeah. And so that's what I want to leave you with. That's what we want you to be encouraged, be secure in your faith, be secure in your salvation, and and speak the truth in love to those who may have fallen away, to those that may have rejected the faith. Because we are seeing that more and more, and we're going to kind of discuss this on Thursday, some of the false gospels being preached, some of the doctrine that is being watered down and tainted by the world. Yeah, blatant lies that are being preached from the pulpit. And and some of them that are not so blatant and very, as Scripture says, the wolf in sheep's clothing. We we need to be watchful of that. So yeah, we'll we'll talk a lot of, lot more about that. Well, guys, thank you for listening to episode eleven of the Rooted in Logos podcast. We will see you guys back here on Thursday. In the meantime, stay rooted. God bless. Thank you for listening to our show. If you enjoyed what you heard, like, subscribe, and leave a five star review. You can find us on Apple, Google or wherever else you listen to podcasts. 
Also, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram at Rooted in Logos Pod, or even on our website, www.rootedinlogospod.com. And if you want to support us financially, visit us at patreon.com slash rootedinlogos.